Hello and welcome to another episode of the S Una Final podcast. We are back with the original crew. Uh, I have here with myself, uh, Charlie and Michael, both of you guys. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the show. I think it's been a while. Three of us have gathered together uh, on an episode, but it's it's really uh, very. Uh, I'm very happy to have you guys back on. And uh, today we are going to do a bit of a mixed pack episode. We're going to uh, review some of the games from the last match day and uh, also preview Real Madrid Osasuna uh, very briefly. Uh, I've actually lost track which match day it is because I think like different teams are on different match day at this point, isn't it? Yes, I think we're yeah. going into 11 if I'm not sure. But I mean, all right. we had like 11 today and then 10 yesterday. It's all <laughs> jumbled up. Yeah, They're all yeah. got games going up against each other. It's, it's Yeah, just good. just when you thought that La Liga couldn't be any more like Messi, it is like Messi. Lionel Messi is gone, but uh, <laughs> his his name, name remains. All right. Uh, so uh, we're primarily going to focus on four games uh, from the past match day, uh, starting with the Athletic Club Villarreal game, then moving on to Sevilla Levante, then of course the El Clasico and finishing up with uh, Atletico Madrid versus La Real. Uh, so uh, I'll start with Michael today. Uh, Michael, Athletic uh, Bilbao finally handed something to Villarreal that, that was seeming mm -hmm. difficult. Uh, Villarreal were for, for the largest stretch uh, stretch of the season they were the unbeaten side in la liga and uh, uh very impressive up until this point but they they fell to the home side at san mames uh your picks from this game or just your general review of this game mm -hmm. yeah i think um i think you've got to be really impressed with athletic you know they obviously san mames is a bit of a cathedral it's not quite the old stadium but in terms of intimidating atmospheres, it's got to be up there. And Villarreal mm -hmm. really showed Villarreal just couldn't get into the game at all. And this kind of, for me, just kind of eats into this, not eats into this trend, but it's more of the trend of Athletic just looking very good under Marcelino. I think they're, obviously, it's only been 10 games or nine. Athletic have only played nine games, actually. I think they played their 10th today. Mm -hmm. Um, so not taking into account that game, but I think their XG per nine, X expected goal difference per ninety, is something like 0.64, like plus 0.64, which is that's pretty good. Um, obviously, absolutely minuscule sample size, but that's pretty good. And they beat up, they beat a good Villarreal side who have they have struggled this season. Mm -hmm. You know, five draws is not promising at all. There, in comparison, Villarreal's expected goal. Uh, mm -hmm difference per 90 is just above one it's 0.05 so you kind of see the um contrast there uh which mm. is quite revealing and i thought someone who i just wanted to pick out was a real captain's performance by Ika muni and i thought he was just really impressive he's really thriving on the left side of the midfield four he kind of often finds himself drifting in and around the penalty box with the the left fullback yuri kind of holding the whip for athletic you know 11 shock reactions I, I had to check that was correct when i saw it obviously it's just one game um eight pa eight progressive passes 12 progressive carries this was a real performance from him um and you know usually when captains play well the teams play well and that was very much the case for athletic right right michael uh thanks Thanks for that. Uh, Charlie, what I want to bring up to you about this game. So Villarreal have had uh, about 61%, close to 61% possession 
uh, in throughout the season uh, on average. But in this game, they even like dropped below 50, I think. They had something around 48, if I'm not wrong. Uh, so how do you see Athletic dominating possession in this game? Well, I think it's just more about how Villarreal were just so disrupted in this match between Gerard Moreno getting injured early in the first half. That just completely upset their rhythm and upset their entire game plan because we all know that Unai Emery is a major. He's scouting his opponents. He sets up his side exactly how he wants it to try and exploit his opponent's weaknesses. And when you have your talisman get taken out early in the first half, that just upsets the entire rhythm. And like Michael said, mm-hmm. Athletic are just such a great side of controlling the game. They can press high. And when you get players like Iker Munayin and uh, Inaki Williams going off on that uh, left-hand side, which is normally Villarreal, like down their right, are very, very solid defensively with guys like Juan Foy and um, uh, Francis Coughlin. And um, you get Etienne Capoue going and drifting off of that right side occasionally. They're usually very solid down there, but that's where we saw uh, Viral concede their first goal to Raul uh, Garcia on a playoff from Inaki Williams, I believe. So, yes, um, Viral, I mean, you can't really expect them to hold too much possession in a match like this when they're just so disrupted. You have to bring on Jeremy Pino for, uh, or no, you brought on Samu Chakweze for, uh, for Gerard Moreno and move Jeremy Pino up top which can really upset the rhythm because I'm, I personally believe that Pino is better on the wing than he is up top. And when you play without a traditional kind of striker like that, it totally upsets the rhythm and totally upsets what they can do and possess the ball in the final third. So, yeah, I think that's just the biggest issue. I mean, and then you obviously get the penalty late on that has nothing to do with the possession, but I mean, it's just spelling so many errors and Mm -hmm. just, I don't want to say the luck going against Villarreal, but I mean, in this game, pretty much everything that could have gone wrong for them did. And that's just unfortunate for them because they've really struggled this season, but they've also been pretty solid defensively for where their offense has been unable to finish. And today uh, against Athletic Club, we saw guys like uh, Alberto Moreno just make a key error in conceding the penalty late on, and that just lost them the match. Right, right. All right, uh, that's that's pretty much all we had for the uh, Athletic Club uh, Villarreal game, Villarreal tasting defeat finally. Uh, but we're going to move into probably the most interesting game that has happened this match day, an absolute bloodbath, an eight-goal thriller, and even the eight goals dispersed evenly uh, among the two halves with four goals coming from both teams in in each half. We're talking about Sevilla versus Levante, of course, at Sevilla. Um, So this game was was crazy enough in itself. We will obviously get deep into that. But uh, what I want to start with Michael about is, so Jose Luis Morales, you just can't keep this guy out of the big games in La Liga, can you, Michael? Yeah, um, a double against Sevilla. I thought, you know, for all of Ante, been pretty, not awful, but they just haven't been very good this season. This was kind of like an old Levante performance, as if Paco Lo- as if you know Paco Lopez was back in the dugout. You know, this they're kind of going all out against Sevilla, and I thought they competed very well. And as usual, El Comandante is pretty key to that. Um, <clears throat> he got his double, and Sevilla looked kind of disrupted by him, and it wasn't the usual kind of incredibly controlled Sevilla performance that we've seen. Over the past few weeks, we've seen a lot of one nils. You know, Sevilla holding the ball very well, but they just couldn't do that against Levante, which I thought was testament to 
Levante and how well they competed. And to be honest, I've more than thought Levante deserved to draw this game. So it's kind of, I mean, maybe it's a bit too much to say they could have d- they deserved to draw, but definitely could have seen them drawing. And once again, Morales is testament to that his amazing performance. All right. Uh, Charlie, your thoughts on the Sevilla game? This game contains some really, really incredible goals. I mean, Oliver Torres' opener, the volley coming from the corner, just absolutely incredible. Uh, Jose Luis Morales' first goal, uh, I believe it was just outside the penalty area, absolute laser into the top of the net. Um, the Munir uh, goal late on in the match from way outside the penalty area. It was a low-driven kind of shot from way out. You don't see that every day. You don't see it every couple weeks. I mean, just this is a ton of fun match. I don't think we're going to get another high-scoring game like this, like another eight-goal thriller again in La Liga because we usually get about one per season. I'm very sad to see that it happened on this day, the same as El Clasico and La Real Atletico because, I mean, that's just three amazing games all in one day, and it's kind of want to space them out a little bit. You don't want to spend all your fill in one day. But, I mean – like Michael said, I think Levante definitely deserved to uh, draw this match. And also, like you said, this really felt like a Paco Lopez performance. And that's awesome because I really miss him and I don't think they should have sacked him. But that's a whole nother thing for another day. But yes, they definitely did. And I mean, Sevilla scored some pretty crazy goals that they probably shouldn't have had. Uh, I tore made a couple better saves and had like Oliver Torres not gotten so free on the corner kick and hit that volley absolutely perfectly. They absolutely did deserve to draw this. It wasn't a good performance obviously defensively from either side mm-hmm. but i mean who cares when you're putting in eight goal thrillers i mean that is, it's just fun at times you don't have to worry about the defensive quality you just got to sit back and enjoy it yeah and sevilla at this point does scare me a little bit not a little bit actually but <laughs> no, quite a bit quite Rightfully a bit so <laughs> quite a bit they they have uh even like for the goal differential they're above atletico madrid the champions and uh, they're neck and neck, not neck and neck. They're basically equal with Real Madrid with points. Whenever I see the La Liga point table right now, Real Madrid having more goals than anyone even remotely close to them, that really satisfies me a lot because it's been a while I've seen that kind of stuff. And defensively, also like Madrid haven't done like it. They haven't done as bad as it seems uh, because of like some frantic moments. But Sevilla are 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 a real threat at this point. Uh, did any of us have have Sevilla at uh, uh, in our top three in our predictions? I don't think so. I had him yeah. top four, but I don't no. know. Yeah, I, yeah, I had I had Villarreal at four, so they're at twelfth right now. They're not doing any justice to my <laughs> predictions. <laughs> uh, so is so like and also like Granada putting my football analysis career and career in shambles. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right. So moving on, moving on to the to the big one now. Uh, El Clasico. It was it was like nothing different from the last three El Clasicos before it. Real Madrid won, but uh, obviously I think both teams had had done certain things really well in this game, and both teams uh, did not do certain things really well. Uh, Charlie and I were just talking about Barcelona's press before we got online, that especially in the first half, before Real Madrid could uh, get the opener, Barcelona's press was pretty pretty decent. And they even created the first chance of the game, that big chance Serginio Dest uh, missed from like pretty much point-blank range. Uh, 
like Ronald Koeman said in the post-match press conference, uh, this game could have gone either ways if that had gone in from Serginio Dest. And uh, but but real, like credit to Real Madrid, uh, these games uh, as fans, obviously we go into these games thinking that uh, Real Madrid should win uh, with a big margin, and they they could have even probably, but no complaints about the results. Uh, I'll, I'll begin with Charlie for this one. Charlie, any quick thoughts about the Clasico? Yeah, um, I don't think Barcelona deserved to lose this match, and that's coming from a Real Madrid fan saying that <laughs> they their press was absolutely. I will I'll say it. Their, their press was very, very good in the first half. They did exactly what they needed to do. They disrupted Lucas Vasquez and Casemiro, who were both major liabilities on the ball from like the defensive third. I they created enough chances. I mean, like you said, the Serginio Das chance was fantastic. David Alba had a couple of very key blocks inside the penalty area. Mm-hmm. They certainly created the chances to score and win this game, and. Like, the David Alaba goal is a fantastic goal, but, I mean, that's a bit of a fluke, I would say. I mean, you're not going to get stuff like that every game. That mm-hmm. wasn't a – it wasn't a massive chance. I mean, he's going to score that or even get in that position once every season maybe. I mean, mm-hmm. Real Madrid didn't do anything on the offensive side to outright win this game. They, their defensive work was – admirable i will give them credit they've really shored up this defense in the past couple weeks it's been very good david alba and adair militao and ferlin mendy have uh, pretty much say they they've saved this club season i mean so i don't think barcelona deserved to lose but i'll always take it and real madrid like you said it was scrappy and that's what you need in these big games sometimes sometimes you can't just beat them with quality and you gotta just see out the win grab a goal and pack it in and just try and defend for your lives and grab the win. And I mean, that's what they did. So credit to him for it. Yeah. And and I think like this game had a billing that this could have been a better game, but in the end, probably even the scoreline suggests that it ended up as being a bit bland. Again, no complaints. We got the three points. That's all we needed. Uh, but Michael, if uh, I'm, I'm probably going to come up with a different question uh, to you is that if you had to uh, rate, Top three moments from this not so top classical. Oh uh, wh- what would those be? <laughs> That's a tough one. I think you got to say death, death chance. Surely mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's got to be up there because that's a key moment. You know, if that goes in, it's a different game. I think Real Madrid's first goal as well because that kind of sets the tone. Um, they kind of you almost see kind of Real Madrid retreating back into their shell. After that, I think Charlie's right to point out that it isn't really like a repeatable chance. Like Alaba's not going to be in that position again, so it's not the greatest indicator of like that Real Madrid deserved to score. But it happens sometimes. The ball just lands at you like that, and sometimes Alaba's in the position and he does run run the full length of the field. So mm-hmm. got to give credit to him. I'm struggling to call out a third. Um, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that. Uh, oh, the third. Yeah. Okay, I would say <laughs> the third probably. You know that uh, if you guys remember, so Modric played these this outrageous outside of the foot pass inside the box bypassing I think Eric Garcia to Benzema on the volley and like Benzema played it into Ter Stegen's hands. Like mm. if that would have gone in, that's that's like I think the Camp Nou crowd just leaves the stadium at that point if that that goes in. 
But uh, yeah, I mean, Benzema is, Benzema is due some bad days for what he has already done this season. It's it's completely fine. He was he wasn't even at his physical hundred percent, but like uh, he just had to play this game. But uh, yeah, and uh, probably like when you see the replays, you you understand that there wasn't much time to to you know hit that either. He had to hit it first time. Uh, but if if that goes in, I think that would, would have been. A absolutely devastating goal. What about you, Charlie? Um, my third moment would probably be uh, Gerard Piquet on the uh, Real Madrid second <laughs> goal when he was uh, in the Real Madrid's penalty area, throwing a little hissy fit. Nice. Uh, that, that brought a little joy to my heart. <laughs> Maybe even more so than winning the match, because as Barcelona fans, I'm sure hate Sergio Ramos and probably hate half the Real Madrid team. I don't hate much of Barcelona squad. I mean, you do have to respect them for the players that they are. Pique is one of those guys that really grinds my gears. Mm. I don't like the way he, the way he like acts and talks on and sometimes off the pitch as well. So it it was nice to see him a little, a tad frustrated at the end of the match there with. I, I don't want to say like the referee decisions going against Barcelona because Real Madrid has certainly had their fair share of refereeing decisions go for them. But with the way PK has always complained about the referees, it, it felt nice. And I will not complain. Yeah. Very sassy. And, uh, Very sassy. Uh, uh, last season, I think after winning the game at the De Stefano, Modric actually like even told PK that uh, are you going to complain to the referee now about something <laughs> like yeah. and he he just lost it PK was like what no <laughs> yeah, I'm oh, uh, yeah and and uh, like some of the things that happen like yeah Jordi Alba is like one of those characters again like I'll, I'll yeah. never be able to like him in any capacity he was like arguing with Vinicius and like trying to taunt him like throw hands at his face or something. I'm mean, like, this guy's like probably close to the age of your eldest child or something. Like the age difference between Vinicius and Jordi Alba. Like Rodrigo's father is literally Modric's age. That's why like Modric calls, like Rodrigo calls Modric dad. So, uh, so like don't do this with kids. It, it's it's just not right. I think uh, even like uh, what I, I would say, I, Charlie and I were just talking about this too. Like there is an instance where PK was uh, saying something to Vinicius with an arm over his shoulder, and then Casemiro comes up and this lifts that PK arm and like separates him. But even though I would like say that PK, since he is more of a public figure, he has certain like business uh, related uh, things as well in the footballing and sporting world. Uh, that is probably how PK would talk to a young young player. But Jordi Alba is just something like different. He's like he was doing something different with Vinicius, which which I didn't like. <laughs> but but Vinicius was like also a different beast in this game. I don't remember a player uh, in a Clasico who didn't score a goal, but he just he just made the entire camp now so unhappy. They mm. were mad at him for the entire game, even when he was going off. He was taking the most like ridiculously slow walk back to the Real Madrid dugout and like talking to the crowd the whole time. And even when uh, Lucas Vasquez scored, I think he, he was celebrating pretty wildly. So Vinicius was was having mm. the time of his life in this game. Yeah, I, right. I, feel like, I feel like there's something significant in that as well because I saw, I think it was Sid Lowe said that, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't a kind of, an like a kind of, 
a fiery attitude to this El Clasico because yeah. obviously with Ramos going, there's no figure of hate for Real Madrid. And the fact that you know Vinicius <laughs> has kind of assumed that role. I'm not trying to say he has Ramos' stature, but you know, he's playing really well. He's having mm. a really good season. He had a really good game today. Paul mm-hmm. Mingefa had to get subbed off early because he just couldn't deal with the pace. And Barca's high line was a lethal combination with Vinicius. Yeah, and and even uh, the penalty shout that we were we were mentioning, uh, what he did in that like 10-15 seconds, that can really break the morale of an entire defensive lineup. Like they just can't like he's here, he's not here. They just couldn't yeah. see him in that in that sequence. All right. Uh, so our last game for our preview section today is obviously Atletico Madrid versus La Real. And just when I thought I could not dislike Luis Suarez anymore, he came up with another <laughs> Luis Suarez-esque performance. Uh, La Real 2-0 up and then Suarez just basically, you know, like breaks their hearts uh, all by himself. Uh, on this one, I'll, I'll start with uh, Michael. Please walk us through. Yeah, um, he does nothing all game, but he's there on the end of chances and takes penalties. It seems like a an apt summary. He's literally, I think, he's literally about to get subbed off before he scores, or Simeone is preparing a substitution that he scores. You know, this happened against Itafe. Um It happened against Milan in the ninety seventh minute. It's just, it's almost like Atletico riding their luck at this point, a bit like they were last season. Um, but yeah, it's it's almost inevitable. But to maybe draw on to a more kind of serious point, I feel like Lariel they had a really good start to this game. I heard something about how Imanol first five minutes he just kind of threw out a random formation to throw off Atletico and it kind of worked, you know, they get the early goal and then they played this kind of five back, which mm-hmm. obviously mm-hmm. is not their natural formation, but it's kind of come out of their massive injury crisis. And mm-hmm. they've really stood up against Atletico and don't want to say it was a it was a kind of top four performance. Like they've really competed for Atletico and Atletico and Simeone kind of resorted to just throwing on every attacker as he usually does. So then by the time it got to the 85th, 70th minute or whatever, 80th minute, Atletico kind of had this weird morph formation, which, you know, maybe isn't that significant, but I think it shows the kind of panic that Simeone was brought to by L'Oreal just being so solid. They were just really good. Atletico, apart from the penalty, there's a few here and there chances, but I thought a draw was very much apt. And L'Oreal just really good. Mm-hmm. All right. Charlie, so L'Oreal is obviously sitting at, at the top of La Liga right now. Uh, how long do you see them sustaining this form or position? Is this a false position for you? Or do you think there is substance in believing that they can actually sustain this to something something significant this season. And by significant, I don't necessarily mean the La Liga title, uh, but perhaps a Champions League spot. I want to say yes, because given I'm not a La Real fan, I want them to win the title this year. They are my flat-out pick. I, wa- I want to see it. I would love to see a non-top three team in La Liga win the title. That'd be amazing. Just especially for the year now that Messi, Ronaldo, all these guys are now gone. It would be absolutely incredible. Do I think it'll happen? No. I think they will drop out probably in January. I think they'll drop out of the top four. I don't think they have the depth to keep this going. Their starting 11 is very, very good. But once you start losing players... I think they've dropped quite a bit. I mean, like, obviously, they're missing uh, Mikel Oyarzabal, and uh, Portu came on late on in the match. 
those two are uh, great substitutions. Adnan Wanaze as well. But I think out of the back, I think that's where their real issues are. Because they've got uh, Lenoman, uh, Zubeldia, uh, Elustando. Those three are great center back options. But aside from that, I mean, like, obviously they did play the five at the back. I don't know what else they have in defense. If one of those guys gets injured or fatigue as the season gets on, obviously mm-hmm. they're playing so many games at the moment. It is absolutely incredible. That's a whole different issue to get into. But I mean, this in the past or in this current stretch of like five days, the teams are all going to be playing twice. And that's just absolutely insane. And for a squad like La Real that isn't super deep and they do play a pretty active style of football, I think that they're going to drop out due to fatigue, injuries, and I really hope they have the mental capacity to keep their form up, but I just don't know, especially what we've seen with the past couple seasons where they do get out ahead and then they seem to crumble. I don't know if Mikel Ariathabal can kind of uh, keep him on track this season, if he can keep up his goal-scoring form and maybe bag in a couple more penalties than he has been to try and get them over that line. Cause that's something that we do see down the stretch, something that really comes into a factor. Um, but yeah, I really hope they can keep going, but I just don't see it happening. I don't, mm. I think that they're really building towards something. And if they can add those one or two more players, if they can add a rotation center back to their squad mm. and maybe a rotation fullback as well, I think they could really have what it takes to, actively compete for the top four. Because right now, if the season ended in January, I'd say absolutely they're nailed on for Champions League, but I just can't see it happening with, I'm sure Barcelona will turn it on at some point. Mm-hmm. Atletico Madrid, Real Madrid, they're not going to stop. And I th- Sevilla is obviously fantastic mm-hmm. as well this season. I think the, I, th- I don't think your top four is going to be changing that much. And I think La Real will have a very easy grip on fifth place though. That's my call. All right, right, and and that that makes me think that we definitely got to do another predictions. I think midseason in, in January, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, perhaps I will have Granada a bit lower than eight in that that phase. Uh, Michael, anything to add to Charlie's comments on L'Oreal? Yeah, I was just going to say I thought I thought Charlie did a really good job there. I think he's definitely right to draw upon the kind of lack of squad depth, and the Europa League is going to be such a big mm-hmm. deal for them the congested fixtures and you know everyone knows how congested it is right now the only thing i might say is the might think that well something that might be in their favor is the strong leak between their b team and their first team mm-hmm. you know a lot of these b team players they're very technically proficient they're very good on the ball obviously they're young and they're not they're not fragile but that you can quite clearly see they're young so maybe the step up to Primera is going to be difficult but i think if you ever had to have a team who had to rely upon B-team players to help their team. Probably the best team, other than Barcelona maybe, is probably L'Oreal, given how strong their identity is there. And, you know, mm-hmm. Faraj Abilonzo might be annoyed that Imanol stealing half of his players, I'm sure he understands, given the quality of their team. You know, they're, they're not sitting around in Segunda. They're, they're a good squad. Um, and I think that could be a positive. I think it's something, you know, even before this season, before bringing all the new debutants, they'd, they're still... Um, a squad that is made up, you know, seventy percent of it is if academy graduate. I think it's something like of all the players that have featured this season, seventeen mm-hmm. from the academy, which is just ridiculous. Like you think about, it, you don't, I can't think of a team. Obviously, there's going to be someone who's going to point it up in the top five leagues who has that higher proportion. Mm-hmm. Even Barcelona aren't, aren't looking at that level, so I think that could be possible. But I still would side with Charlie. But to play devil's advocate. Yeah, the 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 link with the B team and the whole feel around the club is very unified. Everyone's rowing in the same direction. 
that could help them. And it definitely will, but I don't think it'll um, countervail against the massive fixture congestion, basically. Right, right. Okay, so that pretty much wraps up our preview section of uh, today's pod. Uh, we'll briefly go into Real Madrid, Osasuna. That is going to happen tomorrow. Uh, well, uh, tomorrow from the perspective of when we are recording this, when uh, you'll be listening to this, the game is probably just a few hours away. Uh, so, uh, again, I'll, I'll start with Charlie on this one. Charlie, so Marka has predicted a lineup for tomorrow's game. I'll read it out. Uh, okay. You'll be surprised what the lineup sure. Marka is. Yes. So it's Thibaut Courtois in goal, Lucas Vasquez in right back, Militao and Alaba center backs, Mendy at left back, Cruz, Casemiro, and Modric in midfield, Rodrigo, Benzema, and Vinicius uh, up top. Uh, I, I, I'm get, I'm like your mind is probably blown at this point. <laughs> Genuinely, I am actually shocked because I thought they'd be predicting quite a bit of rotation for this match. Because mm-hmm. I saw, I, I don't know whatever source it was, but mm-hmm. they said there were going to be some rotations, especially with Luki Jovic coming in for Benzema because God knows he needs a rest. Mm-hmm. But um, I I have no idea what to expect from the lineup in this match. It could be rotations. It could not be. Mm-hmm. I, I genuinely don't know. It, it'll be very interesting to see what they put out. I personally hope they rotate. Uh, one, because the starters need it. And two, because I love rotation matches. I love seeing other players get time and just quirky lineups that you don't usually see. I live for that. I don't know. It's just a <laughs> little thing. I, so, yeah, I hope we see a bunch of rotations uh, for a multitude of reasons. But I don't anticipate it happening. I would go with the Marco lineup. I think that's what we'll probably end up seeing. Yeah, and uh, and uh, before going to Michael about a bit of uh, assassino discussion as well, just want to point out that uh, I'd probably like obviously rotations are necessary at this stage of the season, but I'd probably save some of them for the next three games because uh, undermining Osasuna would would definitely not be a good idea. And we have seen this from Real Madrid so many times that they win a Clasico, they get a little bit of comfortable and they just like downright lose the next game. We've seen this like so many times. So just to probably keep the momentum up, uh, probably not too many rotations, but again, like, I can see like Ancelotti making no rotations at all as well because he like Benzema and Courtois trained with the team today. There was a very strong, uh, you know, suggestion that Lunin should start this game. Courtois needs a rest too. Like he's basically injured at this point, but he trained with the team as well. Fede Valverde is definitely out. So we'll even from a from a substitution point of view, I think either Asensio or Kamavinga will get those minutes in the second half anyway. Uh, but I do agree on on the fact that uh, Karim Benzema really needs a rest, and not necessarily uh, for Luka Vujovic to come in for him. Uh, the Belgian winger can play as center forward. Uh, or as, even as a false nine, Rodrigo can play as a as a striker if needed. I don't know when was the last time Luka Jovic played a minute for Real Madrid. So just throwing him in front of uh, a pretty decent Osasuna side, uh, uh, probably probably Ancelotti might not be completely uh, comfortable with that. But uh, my my hunch is probably he goes with the same eleven again. Uh, Carvajal might start in place of Lucas. Who knows? Uh, Michael, any thoughts on the Madrid Osasuna game, especially on Osasuna? Yeah, sure. I think I'll just I'll cover Osasuna. I think um, the fact that obviously I don't want to read too much into Marco, but maybe the fact that they're just predicting a strong lineup, you know, 
we shouldn't downplay how good Osasuna have been this season. I think they're one of the season, they're one of the teams before the season started. A lot of people were looking mm-hmm. at them, thinking, "Yeah, this is a team that's clearly improved their starting eleven with signing Kike." Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't seen too much of Kike, Budimir, and Shimi together just because mm-hmm. you know, Jimmy's injury and et cetera, et cetera. But I think they've been very impressive. I think they're still unbeaten. Well, they're still 100% record away from home. They are playing Real Madrid in Madrid, you know. Something's happened on the Mediterranean nights, but we'll we'll see. Um, <laughs> but they've just, they've just been very impressive in general. They've just been, in terms of their, their identity is so clear. It's almost kind of ridiculous under Arizata, you know. Mm-hmm. They're very much about early crosses, you know, getting beyond... Uh, getting into kind of the sort of 30 yards away from the goal and getting the ball. It'd be interesting to see how Alaba and et cetera cope with that. So, yeah, I wouldn't mind maybe Lucas Vasquez. I don't don't know how confident I feel him defending the back post. against Not, a, not yeah. confident yeah. at all. <laughs> not at all. Um, so we'll definitely keep an eye on that because who knows, maybe Manu Shansas will be popping them into the back post. Um because that could be a weakness for Osasuna to exploit. It definitely does meet their game plan. But I think mm-hmm. they just generally, they have been very impressive this season. You know, the expected goal difference per 90 is 0.23, which is it's pretty good. That's around the same level as Valencia, obviously above Villarreal, um, just below Betis and Leti as well. So that indicates how, how, how solid they've been, really. They have been pretty good at keeping teams out. They have mm-hmm. been in some high score games, but I think. They definitely want to watch, and I think you know it would be interesting to see if uh, Jimmy uh, starts, given his his goal and his start against Granada, where he was very good then. And I think he could definitely be a bit of a menace to Real Madrid's backline. Hopefully. Uh, all right, all right. Yep, it's it's. I'm I'm sure that this is this is going to be a good game. Uh, Osasuna is absolutely not to be taken lightly. Uh, they're they're currently sixth on the table, and uh, yep, even if Barcelona win their next game. Uh, I think they eclipsed them on goal difference, but Osasuna is, has done fairly, fairly good uh, over the last, first 10 games of the season. That that has to be said. Uh, before wrapping up, uh, just want to quickly point out a couple of comments that Carlo Ancelotti made uh, for Real Madrid's number seven, that uh, he, is, he is no longer... Like, now this is just out in the open. There is like no sugarcoating about his stature at the club at this point. Ancelotti was obviously asked that why isn't he a undisputed starter like someone like Benzema, David Alaba, Tony Cruz, Modric, those guys. And Carlo Ancelotti just said that, well, he's a good player, but the coach has to pick a player and I, I'm just preferring other players over him at the moment. There's nothing wrong with him. He's even physically fine. He has the qualities, but as a coach, I'm taking a different route. I'm taking a different approach. So I think that's obviously a huge statement to make. It's no longer that he has something, some kind of discomfort. That he'll get his chances. I'm sure he's going to be back to his old form. None of that, those kind of things that was said previously in the season. It's pretty much, you know, stating it directly that Vinicius is up in the pecking order at the moment and he has to earn his place back in the starting lineup, which honestly I don't see happening in this season. Uh, I uh, Simply because of the reason that for me to want that, I would have to want that Vinicius's form drops. If Vinicius's form doesn't drop, that doesn't happen. If Vinicius keeps up this form, he has to start alongside Benzema on that left wing. And uh, I would even go on to say that if Gareth Bale comes back, he will be the first man from the bench 
in the forward line because just because Ancelotti's previous report with him, uh, Ancelotti loves Bill, and in in the very limited time Bill scored a goal. I mean, like he, he still like contributes in ways that uh, other players could not do in in this similar kind of fashion. So yeah, that's that's pretty much from me, guys. Anything add, to add for for tomorrow's game? I don't All right. Think so. All right, all good. Thank you so much, Michael and Charlie, for joining once again. We had a great episode of TS Una Final podcast. I do encourage our listeners to please give us a follow on Twitter and be with us. And there are so many La Liga games involving the big teams happening all around. We'll be back right away with you again. Until then, everyone, please take care and stay safe. Thank you. Stay safe, guys.